0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 419, Top Selling Board Games for 2022. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Alright folks, we are back and we are talking about the top selling board games for
1: 2022. Yeah, what did y'all buy last year? We know, we know. We have all the
0: data. (laughs) She knows, she knows everything that you purchased last year. And we have a fantastic list of all the different game types that were purchased last year. The big winners, the big losers, all that kind of fun stuff from our friends at ICV2. So we'll be talking about all those different games on our feature review. But Anthony, before we get into that, I guess a bit of sad news in the board game industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this this shouldn't come to As a surprise to anybody because this happened pretty shortly after we recorded. So like all last week, there's been tributes and memorials coming in for Klaus Teuber, the Mm -hmm. uh, designer of Catan, among many other great games. Um, Kind of the the godfather of modern hobby board gaming that we can all look to is like, this was the game. This was the man who got us to where we are today. Uh, So very sad news. Um, Only 70.
0: Yeah. Too young. Very much so, and and again, it, it can't be it can't be overstated the amount of impact Catan has had, you know, in the industry and even the general general populace. I mean, the idea that you know, usually now when they talk about board games, of course, Monopoly pops up, but if it goes, that conversation goes on for one more minute or even thirty seconds in some cases, they usually also mention Catan, and I'm always like people know Catan? I had no idea people knew Catan or Settlers they'll they'll talk about. And it's just, it's very surprising. And really, I mean, such a tremendous impact and just changing lives for designers, publishers, gamers out there, so many people. So it's with tremendous gratitude, you know, for, and for his life's work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's been wonderful to see just, not just the hobby and the community kind of, come out and, and speak on everything that Toyber's done and what Catan means to everybody, but just the society in general, like you said, Catan is a game that kind of transcends what yes. we do here in our little bubble. Um, you know, if the New York times, the Atlantic, Twitter, trending everywhere. Like everybody's talking about um, Klaus and the work that he did. So it's, it's really sad. Um, we'll have to get a game of Catan to the table this weekend in tribute. Um,
0: Absolutely. But yeah. Yeah, because when people think, you know, modern board games, I would say nine times out of ten, they're talking about Catan. Yep. All right. So, Anthony, on a little bit of an upper note, talking about, you know, our games getting out there to the larger population. uh, The D&D movie has been out and has exceeded expectations. It actually drew in on its, you know, first domestic, I mean, U.S. domestic box office uh 38.5 million dollars and overseas it's looking at 71.5 million dollars this is according to deadline and so it's made its money back which is always hard for movies to do especially genre movies they're saying the movie makes about or I'm sorry costs about 150 million give or take so this is a very positive thing for Dungeons and Dragons for the games the game that we love and for getting gaming culture out there to a big general population so big wins all around
1: yeah it's crazy you know and it's it's funny too because i was just watching a youtube video the other day about the old dungeons and dragon movie from like 20 years ago
0: Ooh, that's you bad know, you know,
1: <laughs> terrible yeah. one right yeah um and kind of like the just the absolute mess that that was and how it came about and how small the budget was and how you could very clearly tell <laughs> like <laughs> um and so it's it's not like hollywood hasn't seen the potential of this IP, Mm -hmm. but they weren't willing to invest in it. They didn't trust it. Sure. Uh, You throw $150 million and all these big names into a movie like this, you obviously trust it and you expect something to happen. And it helps that the movie was good. It could have been terrible and that, you know, this would all be moot, but it's such a cool world to play in. And I'm, I'm glad that they finally figured out a way to do it. That is engaging, not just to us, the people who, grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons, but to everybody else. Like, the general populace can watch this movie and have fun with it. And it's not this grim, dark fantasy that we've been kind of stuck in for the last 15 years because of Game of Thrones. It's fun. It's (laughs) lighthearted. It's engaging. It's silly. It's all the things that Dungeons & Dragons is, which is cool.
0: (laughs) So, Yeah, I actually got to see this yesterday. I haven't been to the movies in in a kind of real way for quite some time. I guess even maybe... I don't know. Somewhat during COVID, I've been, and maybe way before that. So, I just wanted to support it a little bit. I think Wizards of the Coast came around on all the bad stuff they were doing in a good way, and it's actually a good movie. It's and it's certainly one of those movies that's better for general, you know, audience. So that's good. It's not heavy D and D, like it's like like you right. said, it's not Game of Thrones it's not it's not overly serious it's there's a lot of bit there's been a lot of comparisons to Guardians of the Galaxy as far mm-hmm. as like the team makeup the humor the action pieces in there and i think it, it it almost fits i think Guardians of the Galaxy is a lot sharper the relationships are a lot more involved this is kind of good this is not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy but this is good it's decent like it it hits all the marks. It knows what it's it knows what it is, but it doesn't make fun of like D D players or people who like the genre. It's it's enjoying the ride, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I definitely recommend seeing this if you haven't. It's definitely worth seeing the theater because there's a lot of big set pieces. Or if not, check it out on streaming when it comes out. So yeah, it, it gets a you know it gets a watch for me. I guess it, <laughs> a play versus a watch. So yeah, it gets a watch for me. I think it's uh, well done. And again, I think it's in thanks to a lot of people, way, 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 a lot of people in, like, critical role, you know, I think, and uh, Dan Harmon obviously had his own kind of D&D, you know, podcast, video thing that he was doing. Obviously, every gamer out there, every dungeon master who's put that stuff together deserves a big thanks. I didn't see those thanks in the movie or in the post-credits. It would have been nice. Uh, I did see a throwback to my favorite 80s, dungeons and dragons but i'll leave that because that's kind of a spoiler kind of thing but yeah no it's overall a good movie definitely worth seeing all right so that's everything that's happening out there in the industry anthony now it's time to get onto the stuff that we're doing you got a little thing coming up on patreon right
1: yeah uh, absolutely uh patreon posts we we have new stuff going up every week or two uh in the bonus episode feed so I'm I'm posting the long-awaited second edition of my Kickstarter postmortem, where I dig into the latter half of the games that I backed and whether or not I should have or not. <laughs> so um, that'll be going up this week, along with uh, after you hear this
0: episode. Excellent, and I and mine posted last week, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Your yours is much longer than mine. I split mine up. So, oh, okay, <laughs> I got like a two-three parter here, Um but yeah, you can hear you can hear Chris's entire backing history. It's on Patreon now, available. It's an hour and twenty minutes or so.
0: Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> I think it's fun. I, 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 you know, I took your cue from your first one, and I think it's fun. I think it's fun to look back and and really revel in and all the good purchases that we made, and kind of bemoan the ones that we wish we didn't. So. And I guess, obviously, for the future, as as games now, because of shipping problems and production issues, are taking longer and longer to get to us, I, I think this will probably be a continuous thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to come back. Like, my list of stuff not fulfilled yet is very long. So, <laughs> a couple of years from now, you can hear on the, uh, if those games worked out or not.
0: All right, everyone. Well, that's what's happening with us. What's happening with all of you out there? Anthony, what's our question of the week?
1: All right, so we last week we went through the Board Game Geek Top 100, uh, so I asked everybody after that episode, what's the highest rated game, or games if you're feeling wordy, on Board Game Geek that you haven't played yet, and why have you not played it? So we got a lot of answers. Uh, most of these responses are from the top 10, which makes sense, like not everybody's played the top 10 games. Sure. Um, I apparently have. I don't. Whoa. I was like, looking through the list and I was like, how far down do I have to go to find a game I haven't played yet? It's. I think it was, like, number 19, I think, is where I landed. Uh, That's great. Yeah, no, it's it's great, but also, like, it's a lot of games. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, like, Nemesis, right? And, like, every time we do these lists, I'm like, oh, these Awakened Realms games. So those are the ones that yeah. I just haven't gotten to. They're not my kind of game. Thank um, you. Also, they're yeah. really expensive. Well, yeah, that too. like, <laughs> it's been up there for a while, and then you can only buy it in retail for the last year or so. Um, so, What people told us, uh, Drew, first up, said Gloomhaven. Just don't have the time or group to invest in it. uh, But did enjoy the smaller bite of Jaws of the Lion. And then also Nemesis mentioned is next otherwise. So that's not bad, Drew. Like, out of the top 20, there's only two you haven't played. Um, You threw a club in there,
0: so I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Uh, Whiskey Punk mentions the whole top three. Which actually several people mentioned the whole top three. Um, Brass Birmingham, I don't know anyone that owns it, and I'm not usually big on economic games. Pandemic Legacy, I do not like Pandemic, and I do not like Legacy games. (laughs) So, fair enough. Yep. Uh, And then, number three, Gloomhaven, just another game in the long, long, long line of cooperative dungeon crawlers. I only like Hero Quest and Mutant Chronicles due to childhood nostalgia. Gotcha. Yeah. I think, we talked about this last week, right? Those top three. They're all, like, the epitome of the genre they're in. Like, Mm -hmm. Brass is... The epitome of the economic euro. Pandemic Legacy is the epitome of the cooperative legacy game. Gloomhaven is like the epitome of cooperative dungeon crawler. So if you don't like those three genres, you will not have played these three games, probably.
0: Yeah. And again, we talked about that, too. Like The reason why they're at the pinnacle is because they're so clearly stated to be that thing, and -hmm. they're impenetrable unless that's the thing you want to do. or, Or unapproachable, right? You're just no one is just dropping $150 on Gloomhaven just because I want to try it, right? Right. Like that's just not a thing. Brass has been out of print. I mean, it's you can get some copies from the publisher, but it's not been in wide print for quite some time. And that Kickstarter with the Iron Clays was like a one-and-done kind of situation. We haven't seen them come back to that. And then Pandemic Legacy would be mine because, again, I don't have a group for it. I don't necessarily love the Pandemic mechanic. I don't hate it. I like it in other games better. So, right. yeah.
1: How about you, uh, Anthony?
0: You played all the ten. Is there any, oh, Nemesis? Yeah, yeah. Is that your ne- is Nemesis your Nemesis? Is that is that what you are going with? Nemesis is
1: it? Yeah. If I, if I am going down the list, Nemesis is the first game that I have not played.
0: Ah, now it's Arch Nemesis yeah. to you.
1: I know, and then I <laughs> keep going after that, and it's <clears throat> Clink Legacy. So it's just like these really, really niche things. Sure. Um, a few other people mentioned Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition, which makes sense because I think for both of us that was a game we hadn't played for a very long time until like bought it and lugged it around um star wars rebellion and war of the ring also up there for a lot of people these big long epic two-player games um twilight struggle also popped in the list a couple times gotcha i I think those all kind of hit the check the same box in terms of like they're very long they're very epic they're very specific in terms of like theme so you have to be on board with all of that to make it work
0: um and so not everybody is just makes a lot of sense well, hopefully you get those games done in the future. And if not, it doesn't matter because it's just a list. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's
1: where we land. Yeah. It, it. I'm glad most of these people who responded don't feel the need to play everything on this top list. Because, yeah, it is a lot of games. And a lot of these are very expensive and they're very niche. And you may not like them. So don't force sure. yourself to play them if you don't think you're going to like it. So that's healthy of you all. It's very healthy.
0: No, I mean, it shows insight, obviously, and then a level of education about those games. Because, again, not everything's for everybody. And if those things are not for you, better to avoid them and, you know, not invest, you know, 6 or 12 hours in those kind of things. Because, honestly, they do take that, right? Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah, these are all long, too. It's not even like, oh, you can play this short game and just check it out. It's like, no, 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 this is all day.
0: Yeah, this is all day, but also study up before you come here, too. So, yeah, that's, that's a thing. Right. All right, so is that all that's happening with our listeners out there? Again, be sure to check us out on all of our social media sites. There's always new information coming up there, especially BoardGamersAnonymous.com. And, of course, Board Game Academics. I mean, we're really happy and excited to release this new journal. It's moving along really great. And we're just going to have new and innovative kind of stuff to hit in the industry pretty soon. So stay stay tuned because we'll bring you the updates. All right. So let's get on to what we really want to get to, which is our games, and especially what's hitting our table. Anthony, what's our acquisition disorders this week?
1: All right. So for me, uh, I'm going to talk about Age of Innovation. Uh, which is the I, I would, wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> How dare you, sir? Aha! Now, this isn't the new entry in my every so often acquisition disorder, where I'm like, this looks really cool. I'm not getting it, so I don't know if it's an acquisition disorder. For obvious reasons, but it looks cool, and I, I do want to play it. Uh So this is a reimplementation of Terra Mystica, it's the third reimplementation after Gaia should... Project and Terra Nova.
0: Yeah, now it's becoming the Terra Mystica cinematic universe. Now at this point,
1: what what even is that? That doesn't make any
0: <laughs> sense to me. There's no story in this game. Like, what are you doing? It's got to name. People. Ne- this is why people they keep releasing the same movies with just different actors, and they don't create anything new. But you know, I don't yeah. Know. Just saying, there's so many board games that actually have something to work with. This doesn't really have much to work with. But I mean, whatever. I hate to say it, but is it is it just you know artwork trumps the mechanics, right? Why isn't this the Gaia universe? Why aren't all these games Gaia based? I don't know. It's a great
1: question. Uh, we'll we'll see when the game comes out, I guess. Uh, but Age of Innovation is basically Terra Mystica, but in the Industrial Revolution. So. Mm-hmm. You are doing all the same stuff. You have 12 factions. They're unique. They're asymmetrical. You have different terrain that corresponds to different factions. And then you are trying to build stuff on that terrain. It's a it to be able to do that. Um, so it looks very similar. Like visually, the boards look similar. The I don't know what they're calling it. I don't have it in front of me. The cult track. It's almost certainly not a cult track. It's probably like a technology track. But it looks the same. Um, And the board looks similar. So what I would imagine here, because they haven't released a ton of information, is that it is taking all of the implementations and updates and changes that have come through like the three expansions and mini expansions and Gaia Project and making it all more streamlined, a little more balanced, I hope, (laughs) because the original game is, you know, just played by itself is a little wonky. Um, And like thematically, you have things like you're building schools and you're, accumulating money and you're building your you know all these workshops and guilds and universities and and your buildings and cities so it's just take terra mystica which is the quote-unquote dark ages with fantasy and fast forward it to like the equivalent of the 18th 19th century in that same fantasy world and you have age of innovation so I don't know what's going to be different enough here to justify buying this, which is why I'm not going to get it because I have all this stuff (laughs) for Terra Mystica and I don't want more stuff. And I have Gaia Project, which is a different spin on this already. This doesn't seem to be as much of a different spin, uh, at least not at first glance. So it's coming out this year. Capstone just put up their pre-order page. Usually when they put that up, it comes out in the next six months or so. Um, I would imagine we'll see it around Gen Con. And... I look forward to trying it. We'll see if it's if it's worth replacing any of the existing Terra Mystica
0: material that I have. <laughs> yeah, again, I I do I do appreciate like the artwork a lot. I guess you know a lot of things that's kind of carried it through the ages. No pun intended. So this, I, I guess, if you have a good game, why not re-implement it? as many times as possible he said to himself with a giant question mark floating over his <laughs> head uh, i mean maybe there's there's certainly going to be some tweaks right We're, we can expect tweaks right so there's going to be some tweaks and changes and i know that terra mystica has a huge community where it's like chess level of analysis as far as like how to build how to open how to close and things like that sure. so
1: that's true. Like, this is a whole new meta for those people. Like, I yes. guess we could think of it like that way. It's like an expansion for a CCG. Mechanics mm. are the same, but all new cards, all new meta to work with. So, from that perspective, for the Terra Mystica lovers, it's probably pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, again, that's one of those things where publishers seem to be doing more and more these days. Where it's like, for some reason, maybe because the game, there's so many copies of the original game that's out there and in the secondary market... Financially, they've made a decision, or maybe it does make sense. Again, I have not seen the numbers. We will look at numbers later. But it makes sense for them just to slightly change a thing so that you will buy a thing. I mean, we've seen this in like Game of Thrones, the LCG, the second edition, where they're like, instead of more stuff, we just completely somewhat kind of tweak the game. So, therefore, new edition that you'll buy. And yeah. typically we do, right? So Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So again, yeah. maybe maybe this is something something out there for I I'm I don't happen to be the biggest Terra Mystica fan. I, I I played it plenty of times, a lot of times actually, in fact, but you more than I, Anthony. So Yeah. I like it a lot.
1: I don't like it enough to spend a hundred dollars on a third version. Um I didn't buy Terra Nova either for similar reasons. I'm like, I don't need a lighter version of a game I already own. Sure. But it's interesting, and when, if I run into somebody who has it, I will play it. I, I do want to try it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, like you said, certainly for those people who love Terra Mystica, even though they don't, probably don't feel like they need another version of this, I guess it's always nice to have another version. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and again, expanding the Terra Mystica universe. This is eventually going to get a comic or, or some sort of web series or something. It's going to happen. You know that, right?
1: Yeah, it seems like it. I Like... And who knows? Maybe they'll build lore and it'll make sense to put on there. I don't know. But it's just, (laughs) it's generic fantasy races building stuff on a bland map. I don't know what the theme is there. Or the IP. What is the
0: IP that you're working with? I I don't know. know. I think there's a job there for you, Anthony. Mm, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Let's make an IP. (laughs) Make an IP out of my board game. I think that's, I think it's going to be the new Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All right, well, talking about IPs that, I don't know, have gotten pounded to the ground and reinvented it to something ever so slightly different, Funko Games is releasing Star Wars Rivals, the expandable game system. Now, that's I'm going to put that in quotes because we're going to come back to that in a minute because <laughs> it's kind of questionable what that means. Right. So this is what they're, you know, I guess framing as their epic... Clash. Again, epic, I'm going to put in quotes because, again, we'll come back to that. So, basically what we're looking at here, and I guess in part for, and I, I want to give credit to where credit's do because there's so many board games and card games that do this previously, but certainly Marvel's Snap has become just gigantic. Right? So, Marvel ri- Rivals is light versus dark. You can discuss amongst yourselves if these characters are necessarily dark and light because, again, I don't know Canon if that's ever such a thing. So the base box is going to have Vader and Luke and then two other characters that are not that important in the general scheme of things. But if you do, if you're a really hardcore Star Trek Star Trek Star Wars fan, uh Ventress is in here and Commander Cody is in here as well. So clearly like we know what you want to buy and then we have to put the other characters in there. Now, I for one for the 2D Clone Wars edition of Star Wars. That was like those 20 minutes Taranowski kind of releases. I I love Ventress for that. I haven't followed her in anything else. But these are the four characters. Basically, the gameplay is pretty simple. So you build your team of three unique characters. And again, three, because guess what? You're going to have to buy a booster box. (laughs) And you will then be able to play these characters on different locations. So there's three locations. I know you've all heard this before, seen this before, played this before. Each of the locations has some sort of special buff to it or debuff to it. And each of the locations are numbered one to three. By placing your character on that location, you're challenging that location. And each of the characters themselves have special action cards That will give you special abilities in order to like pump up the power in order to win that location. You'll roll a die, one through three, and then that will determine which area scores that round. You'll count up the influence. Each of the characters has an influence. The cards have an influence. The location kind of messes with the thing. And then you will win that location that will give you points for the game. That's pretty much it. I don't know if that's necessarily epic. It does have painted chibi miniatures in this game. They're not full Funko size characters. These are little small, petite little characters. And they are certainly true uh, Star Wars looking characters. They're not kind of generic bobbled head kind of eyes. The interesting thing about the game, too, again, we talked about the epic thing. Yeah. And is. The light side and the dark side, there are boosters. So there's the base set, and then there's booster boxes. So the booster boxes contains one random character. So there's Ahsoka, there's C-3PO, Chewbacca, there's Finn, there's Obi-Wan, there's Han Solo, uh, Princess Leia, Rey, Yoda. And then there's a couple of holograms, you know, I guess blue versions of, of a couple of characters. Um, which is for some reason Ahsoka, Cody, Leia, and Yoda, and then on the dark side you have Boba Fett, Captain Phasma, Count Dooku, Emperor Palpatine, General Grievous, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, Star Wars Commander, Generic. They couldn't find another character. Uh, Snook, Snoke. I don't know why he's in here. Uh, and TX Twenty. I don't know. I mean, maybe Anthony has an answer there. And then again, yeah. there's holograms of Dooku, no Vader, <laughs> and Palpatine, and then. Again, for no particular reason, Snoop, because I never saw him fight. So I just don't understand why he's a fightable, playable character here. But I guess reasons. So blind boxes, man. We're we're bringing back the blind boxes. (laughs) Oh, no. I
1: I could not be less excited. I don't (laughs) know.
0: I'm kind of excited because I think this is playable with a lot of different people. And I think I probably maybe could get this done with family. And also there is always that kind of gambler, addictive, completionist itch. That's never a good one where it's just like, oh, cool. I get to buy a booster box and see what's in it. Like, ah, oh, I got this random character. I love that. Oh, get another buy another one. I got a random character. Oh, that's really cool. And then like, I don't know on the third or fourth one when you start getting duplicates and you just start hating yourself for doing that. Yeah, that's
1: what happens. See, I have children who went through their blind box phase. And oh, no. like I don't know how much money I spent on these stupid things. They're like, oh, I really want this color of My Little Pony. And they're like, yeah, but can we just go buy? I could get you off the internet. <laughs> like, no, but this kind right here. I'm like, these are $8 and there's like yeah. 10 options. You're not going to get the one you want. I hate these things. I think they're terrible. I think they should be illegal, honestly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's gonna be like one of those like eighties eighties uh cartoons where it's like some organization's gonna realize what we're actually doing to kids by doing the the, the blind booster boxes, right? Like Yeah. Just <laughs> it's it's bad. I had to ban it.
1: Like I had to ban them watching people open them on YouTube. Oh wow because they would get so wound up about it. Like yeah. these things are like they mess with your brain.
0: Yeah. It's twenty dollars for the base box and then five dollars for each booster box. but I agree I think there's a little bit of a problem about this, and it's gonna be on limited online pre-release on May the fourth at Walmart because of course <laughs> I guess they don't they're not loving their friendly local game stores these days, but yeah. uh Funko, yeah no God no <laughs> not so much this is this is getting out to the thing. I don't know. Like I said, some of these characters look pretty cool. The game looks pretty simple. Uh, I'm excited to try it. Um, I'm not excited to get addicted to it. I'll, I'll admit that right now. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's just, like, the recent quality of Star Wars media has really, like, kicked me in the head repeatedly. Um, we don't need to go down the rabbit hole of talking about The Mandalorian right now, but I'm so disappointed. Just so, so disappointed in, like... We had Andor and otherwise it's just been bad. It's just all bad. Like oh, Star the... Wars Star Wars celebration started today and they're like releasing their announcements as we're recording, and I'm just like, yes. don't care, don't care, don't care. Uh-huh. I was excited for the Ahsoka show. I'm not anymore because the last two shows have been terrible. Bubba yeah. Fed and Mandalorian uh-huh. season three. And I'm like, nope, I guess th- I think I might be done. I don't know. <laughs> I love Star uh-huh. Wars, but Ugh. Sorry. Yeah, same.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that in Star Trek. Although there's there's come up, a couple of highlights in some of the animated stuff, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's been a rough, it's been a rough time. Yeah, give me more Andor, and then just stop making
1: everything else. It's just
0: <laughs> take a breath, bro.
1: It's not even good for kids. My son's watching. He's just like, what What's happening? I'm like, I don't know. They're all over the place. They don't know what's happening. <laughs> I, I love make the whole toys idea... about it.
0: Okay. I love the whole idea that they. All these IPs work very hard on marketing to you the canon. Like, you know, the canon. Here's some member berries for you, right? Like, that's what they hook you in on. And then once they get you there, they're like, yeah, you know, eh, we don't have to do canon. Who cares about canon? We don't, no, we don't do canon. I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, it's, there's some good stuff out there and there's some good moments out there. You've got to find them. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, those are acquisition disorders, including having our IPs be awesome. Please? Just please? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have to uh, create a whole new IP for the you know, universe. So Anthony yeah. needs to get on that. That's what I'm saying. I'm on it. Let's do it. All right. You heard him, Clay. Let's get it. Doing it. All right. So that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Again, thank you all for responding and reaching out. Please continue to hit up everybody there and let them know about all of the games you have not got to the table, but you would love to, or games you're just going to avoid, because, hey, it's 100. It's 100,000 games out there. All right, Anthony, so let's talk about the games that did hit the table. What'd you play this week?
1: All right, so I got a chance to get the game Earth to the table. Uh, this is a new one from Inside Up Games, uh, designed by Maxime Tardif, who previously made Brilliance, which is a very clever, fun game about ants. Uh, so I was excited for this. I, I backed it on Kickstarter. This is not one I came too late. And I was very excited to get a chance to play it. Uh, it's a tableau building game with where you're building out different environments for fauna, um, for different types of plants and stuff you're trying to grow. So the game has a lot of similarities to other games in this field, right? So you're going to build a tableau of up to 16 cards, if that sounds familiar like Race for the Galaxy type of thing. Um, you are going to be drawing from a ginormous deck of cards that have various uses, if that also sounds familiar, from games like Terraforming Mars or Wingspan or Arc Nova. The, what makes this game unique, though, is that it really just throws a lot of stuff at you and gives you, like, open access to whatever actions you want. So on your turn, you're going to be able to choose from one of four actions. They're on your personal player board, and. You can take any action you want. It doesn't really have that scythe mechanic where you can't take the same action twice in a row. You can take the same action eight times in a row if you want. The first one lets you plant things. This is the green action. And you can take from your hand of cards, and you can plant two cards. Each card has a soil cost. Soil is your currency. You start the game with some amount of currency. You get a bunch more throughout the game. It's not really hard to come up with currency. It's really just a matter of the efficiency of it. Um, Are you getting enough to be able to do as much actions as possible on your turn? When you plant a card, you can place it anywhere in the tableau as long as it's orthogonally or diagonally adjacent to another card. And you have a 4x4 grid. It's the maximum space. So that 4x4 grid, once it's full, you're done. The game is over. Uh, And it's important where you put stuff. Because when you activate the cards in the tableau, because every card has an ability on it, they will activate left to right top down. So you want to make sure that the cards are placed in such a way that if This card's going to activate and make it possible to do this next card that they're in the right order. Because if you put them in the wrong order, you're going to spend the entire game being like, ugh, okay, I can't afford to do the first one because I get the stuff on the second one. It's just very inefficient. Um, The next action lets you get soil and um, add cards to your compost pile. Your compost pile is just a little stack of face-down cards. There's a whole bunch of actions that will add to this, sometimes from the deck, sometimes from your hand. And there's various reasons you might want to do this. Some cards will give you abilities that let you turn compost into soil or compost into sprouts, uh, which are little green cubes that you put on your cards. Um, The next one is going to give you new sprouts that you can put out along with soil. And then finally, you can just draw a bunch of cards with the yellow action. With each action, you then get to activate all the cards that have that color of action. So there aren't that many green actions. Um, You probably won't have any in your tableau. You might have some on your starting cards. But there's red, blue, and yellow. And so those will activate in different orders based on whatever. Everybody who takes an action, everybody else gets to follow that action. So yes, it's one of those with the follow on. Um, The following action is a little bit weaker. So you don't get as much stuff. You just get like some part of the main action, but you also get to activate those cards. So you get a bunch of stuff constantly. Every turn that anybody takes, you're doing something. Um, which is cool because you stay engaged in the game. But it also has that side effect where the game, like the box is 45 to 90 minutes, which I think is bananas. Like, unless you've played it a few times, it's going to take an hour or two at least. Um, so that's the flow of the game. And that's basically it, right? You're As you go through, you're planting various cards. They all have different abilities, which chain together. You are building... Growth on those cards represented by these little, you've probably seen the pictures of this game with like the little stalks of of little wooden pieces, and then they have these funny rubber nipple looking tips on top of them. They, they look weird. They do look weird. But you can stack those up as high as the, that card allows you, and they could be anywhere from like one to eight. Um, like it was like a Sequoia or something card that I got, it let me go up to eight. And let me tell you, they will not stack to eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> they will fall right down and make a big old mess. Uh, so this is the first thing I'll complain about a little bit is component quality. It's not great. The cards Ooh. are kind of thin. They bend a little bit when you, when you shuffle them, um, when you stack them, they're kind of bowed a little. Sure. The, the little pieces that stack up are not, they don't always fit. And so wow. some, sometimes the hole is a little too small. And so it sits a little crooked, which doesn't work if you then need to stack something else. Cause then it just falls off. So like I'm going through and I'm checking all these little pieces that I have from the game and removing the ones that don't fit. So out of the 70 something I have, I think like 10 don't fit. Wow. Um, but I was like, I need to remove them because I keep placing them down and then they fall over and then it makes a sure. mess and they fall on the floor. So it's a cool idea, but in practice, physically, not so great. <laughs> um, um and, and then, you know, if you don't have the Kickstarter version too, you have like these little tiny pieces representing like the leaves and the soil, the little cardboard pieces. Like I got the wood pieces and they're fine. They're not amazing, but they're fine because they came with the Kickstarter. Um, but all of that aside, like none of it's game breaking. It's not like terraforming Mars bad. It's just sure. not great considering it was kickstarted and they could have done more. Um, the real interesting thing about this game is the complexity of how everything works together. Right. Cause mechanically it's, very simple you take one of four actions you build up your hand you play some cards out blah blah right it's like mechanically it's about as simple as race for the galaxy um but throughout the game there are four milestone objectives these are the the fauna cards that are in the middle of the board so everybody can kind of race to get these objectives and these will be things like have 20 cards in your hand and yeah you can have 20 cards in your hand there's no hand limit which is Kind of crazy, and it's not hard to get to 20. It really, like midway through the game, got the 20 cards. Have 15 cards in your compost pile, have six cards out with growth on them, like things like that, nothing crazy, but stuff that you'll do eventually throughout the game. Um, There's also these environment cards, which I guess there's a basic version of the game where you don't use these, but I don't know why you would do that, because then the game's pretty simple. Uh, And these are end game objectives. So like at the end of the game, if you have X amount of this, you get this many points pretty straightforward Um, there's two global ones and then you have a personal one so you have three end game scoring objectives plus four in-game scoring objectives you're trying to work towards plus whatever scoring objectives you put into your tableau so at a certain point about halfway through the game the game gets pretty crunchy where you're trying to keep track of like five or six different ways that you'll score based on positioning of cards in the tableau where things are stacked how many things you have how they're organized and that's when the game got interesting to me. um the first half I'm just like, "Okey doke, get some soil, get some cards, plant some stuff, get some soil, get some cards, plant some stuff." But then eventually I'm like, "Okay, okay, hold on, <laughs> like, I gotta like keep track of where things are going and how they're going there and how I'm organizing them, and that got pretty cool um overall, I would say, you know, I think the game plays to five. I think playing with five people would be insanity uh because mm. you Everybody can follow those actions. Theoretically, you should be able to do that all simultaneously, but you know how people are. So the the game drags on if you have too many players. I would say two or three people if you're going to play this in person. It also takes up a tremendous amount of space. Your player board is pretty big. That four-by-four grid of cards is pretty big. You need a big old table if you're playing with a lot of people. So it's not very space-sensitive. It's not AP-sensitive. The deck it doesn't, ironically, it doesn't have that issue with the cards, even though there are 300 cards in the deck because you draw so many cards in this game and you sure. cycle them so much that I didn't have that issue that you have like Terraforming Mars or Wingspan or Arc Nova where you just keep drawing junk that doesn't work yeah. towards your strategy. Sure, I always, always had a card that fit my strategy. So, that was cool. Like, And you're only going to play one or two cards at a time, so it's not like you need a ton. Um so it's nice that they resolve that. The downside is you have a hand of like 20 cards then. And so when it's your turn, you stare at your hand forever. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Again, 45 minutes for this game is bananas. I don't know who thinks that's possible. It's crazy talk. Um, it, This is a play for me because it's, it does a lot of similar things to other games. It's a tableau builder. It's a race game. Um, the game ends when somebody gets to 16 cards. So we talked about this before, like that, at least it's open information now. You know when somebody's close. But, mm. you know, it, it, you could get cut off in the middle of doing what you're trying to do. As, as sure. happens in these games. Which is, you know, it's fine. It's what the game does. But that's a thing. Um, but it's fiddly as all get out. Right? It's so many cards in your hand. So many cards in the compost. Just piles and piles of stuff. The the growth tokens don't really work properly. Mm. They fall over way too easily. The, the the sprouts there's so many sprouts all over the place it's hard to keep track of um the tracking in this game like the mental tracking is so significant and i like i like a crunchy puzzle but at a certain point you're just going to miss things because there's too yeah. many things to keep track of sure. and that gets frustrating all of that aside it's pretty good on board game arena because it keeps track of all that stuff for you <laughs> right? um but yeah you know, i don't I, i doubt that's what they're going for i think they want people to buy their physical game and i would say like play it online first and if you absolutely love it and those things don't bother you maybe track down a copy but like the physical version i don't know that i'm gonna play it It, it's just there's no reason to unless somebody like in person somebody wants to play it with me but um it's just such a it's so fiddly there's stuff everywhere man (laughs) it's such a mess um it's cool though thematically it's very cool it's interesting i like that it exists but it's not a buy for me it's a play
0: wow yeah, they a lot of people were proclaiming this as like the second coming that it was gonna pop up on the top five of BGG. It was better than Terraforming Mars, and it seemed like it had some potential to do that again, based on the hype. And I guess primarily the production is the first failure. I don't know if I they just... they'll be able to fix that in a second edition, or they'll be interested in doing that.
1: I don't know what it is. And it might just be that like it bothers me more than it bothers other people. I don't know. But it no. seems like a cons- conceptual failure. If, like, like oh, this would be really cool if we did this. And then they do it, and they produce it, and it doesn't really work very well. And then yeah. that's just... It's just not fun to deal with that. I don't like taking these things and stacking them and having them fall over. I don't like having this big pile of green cubes that just kind of gets sprayed all over your cards. And you're trying to keep track of where they're supposed to be. Yeah. I don't like that when I shuffle the cards, they kind of bend awkwardly. like. These are things that some of them they could have done something about, some of them maybe not. I don't know, but it just it wasn't as pleasant to play physically as it was online, and that's not a good thing. Like that's that's an indictment of the production of the game, I think.
0: And it might be it might be just it might be just how they built the game. It might it might it seems like it. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: it's not like this was crazy expensive. I think it was like fifty bucks. It was reasonably priced. They shipped it on time. They've been very communicative. Like it was a good campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love the theming and, you know, they went with like photography instead of artwork, but the photography is consistent throughout. So it's pretty to look at, like, it's got that arc Nova look of like, here's this animal and here's this biome and here's this plant. And there's a lot of those cards and they all have little text on them to learn about things, which the kids always love. Like they love learning things as they go through. Um, so everything else there is great and it's cool to have it physically. I just, I wish it was, I wish it worked better.
0: Yeah, and then and as you as you mentioned also, the actual gameplay itself, separate from the components, just doesn't sing as 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 well as like Ark Nova or Terraforming Mars. I would say no, if
1: only because of some of those like again like the actions you're taking are just like give me more income, give me more income, now I'm going to spend that income. The complexity comes out in the tableau as you build it. Yeah. Um, like how things chain off of each other. So if you don't get a good chain going, it's not very interesting. And if you can't keep track of everything in your chain, it's not very interesting. So there's frustration there to be had. Um, If it works well, it's very cool. Like being like, I did this and then it does this and it does this and it did this and it did this and it did this. this. But that's like eight minutes of your turn and people are like, are you done yet? (laughs) Like, like just finish your turn, please. Um, I, I want to play it solo. I kind of, played through it a little bit multi-handed when I got it to learn it. I, I, I do want to play it solo because I feel like that'll be a satisfying puzzle. Sure. But I also feel like I would need to review that separately almost. Cause that's not really how it's intended to be played. There is interaction in terms of like following off each other's stuff here. So, but like just sitting down with it in front of me and just like trying to solve it, that it mm-hmm. seems like that could be really cool. So I'm going to, I'm going to come back to it and do that.
0: Nice. All right. Well, I got to, do a little bit of a throwback and play a game that is one of my favorite games of all time in my top 10 for multiple years. Uh, This is the new version, the second edition version of Seven Wonders. Uh, In particular, I'm going to talk about cities and leaders because I have not talked about the new version of that yet. Talked about the older version, obviously, many, many years ago. This is Anton Bauza's kind of like big classic civilization game from uh, Repo's production with artwork from Miguel Quimbra. Um, just iconic and for me and again we all have our different you know understandings and considerations about what civilization building is this really does work for me I, i think this one is such a classic and just it does it right in so many ways now i've already talked about the second edition and you know as far as the base game is concerned and if you've never played seven wonders again the most simplest explanation to it is you have a wonder board that represents your particular civilization it has starting resources that goes along with it and then you will tuck cards in order to build segments of that wonder which will give you points and special abilities you'll also build a tableau of cards that'll be made up of civic military uh science and then market trade and then basic resources and process you know resources so And all of that is, again, based on this kind of classic, and again, it's been done before, but I think Seven Wonders is kind of known for doing it best, which is that, you know, drafting card mechanic. So, primarily, that's Seven Wonders. The new edition, obviously, comes with some graphical updates. The box is bigger. It's more streamlined. It's clear. It's got a lot of little more shiny bits to it. The the boards and the cards themselves look a lot more you know, spectacular. The way the cards are kind of designed graphic design-wise are great because they remove the black borders. And if you've played board gaming at any length of time and you've seen a blackboard card, you know that's gonna it's gonna show the damage quite quite quickly. Uh the wonder boards themselves are bigger, sharper, cleaner, they're you know tooled a little bit better. Uh, I mentioned the graphic design overall, you see that on the boards themselves. There's a night version of it which looks really cool. And usually the B-side, the night version of it, is a little more dynamic. You don't get the Wonder cards that allow you to just kind of randomize I Because at this point, everyone knows the Wonders. Play a Wonder and enjoy it. The Tokens and the Bits are upgraded here a lot more. And again, I mentioned that some of the cards themselves have some updates. And again, it's just a better version of Seven Wonders. And this is coming from somebody. And We talked about this earlier. Would you buy a second edition of a thing that you already own? I already own... I would say almost everything from the original Seven Wonders. There was always some promos that I was never able to get that kind of made me a little sad on my completionist side, but I own a tremendous amount of it, including spending a lot of money on coins and a wooden insert and a number of other things. But basically, this game, based on the new graphic design, the new artwork, being more colorblind friendly with symbology here, made it a lot more interesting and dynamic for me and worthy of picking the... The base game up at the second edition again. So for that, the base, the second edition of Seven Wonders is absolutely positively a buy. If you've not played it before, just jump to the second edition. Don't worry too much. It's better balanced than the first edition, but the first edition's not broke. If you just have a first edition and you love and you're happy with it, don't feel the need to kind of run out and buy the new edition. It just gives you an idea that there is a subtle tweaking of it. You could play it on Board Game Arena and see both versions there, see which one you like a little bit better. Both versions are playable. I play both versions all the time. There's no radical difference across you know across the board there. Again, cleaner, neater, tweaked, balanced better. Um, definitely worth your time. Now, let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is the expansions. Now, the expansions for Seven Wonders was really what kind of just changed me a little bit as far as like I love your I love your general base game but it's always really interesting, dynamic and fun to hear about new expansions. Something that you love is getting better. Now, do all expansions make things better? Not so much. And we've talked about that in a previous episode. What do expansions do? When they 're introduced to a game, sometimes they 're just something that was cut off of the base game that they wanted to sell separately, sometimes it's more of the same, sometimes it's it's fixing things, sometimes it's better again, we have a whole other episode on this, but the city editions for Seven Wonders was one of the most welcomed expansions in the original base game of Seven Wonders because one of the critiques of Seven Wonders was there was not enough interaction amongst the players now. If you played Seven Wonders, you understand that there's a military round at the end of each age where you do affect your your part your, your opponents on the left and right, but there was nothing affecting anybody else in the game. And as card drafting is necessary, and sometimes hate drafting is necessary, how do you affect other players that you are not in military reach? Well, Cities allowed you to do that. It actually allowed you to bring a lot of uh, challenges to the table as far as like attacking other people's resources and monies across the board. It really gave that kind of feel of, like, you're connected to everyone and not just some people. And I would say the vast majority of time, these cards, they were attack cards. And sometimes they were neighbors, but most of the time they were everyone there. Now, the original edition was great, and then later on they came out with anniversary packs and promos, too. The anniversary packs were kind of hard to come by, but I think I did did pick them up at, at a later point And this new edition, and again, they are new editioning every expansion, at least at this point, of the original Seven Wonders' second edition. So the second edition, the Cities, has more or less everything from the original Cities edition, plus it has included the anniversary pack, which I think is essential for the game. Because, again, it was one of those things where it was additional cards that allowed you to have different types of attacks and abilities to mess with other opponents at the table, but they weren't anything directly mean, or you weren't targeting a particular person. They were just affecting the table and how the table was kind of interacting with resources. Now the graphics are new, the iconography is new, everything's a lot shinier. Uh, the leaders that are in the leaders edition, which I'll talk about in a minute, the leaders in the city edition were different, right? They were they were packaged. Specifically in the City Edition. Now those have been pulled out, and now they're in the they're in the Leaders uh, expansion, which I'll talk about in a minute. So you, if you buy Cities and you're expecting to see City Leaders in there, you won't. You gotta get the Leaders Edition now. Uh, that's better, but it's not necessarily radically different because again, um, if you're gonna play Leaders, then you're gonna need a lot of Leaders and not just a few things. The Guilds themselves, these are the purple cards that really give you bonus end game points. They've been taken out of both of these expansions, both cities and leaders and put into promo packs. So if you do want these kind of particular promo cards, you're going to have to try to, you know, get them another way. They don't come in the base box. I'm not loving that, but I understand why, because again, balancing is balancing. There's also two wonders that come with the box. So you'll be able to kind of decide what you want to include. And again, they all have their updates and changes. You, you know, again, they are better and bigger and tweaked just like the base game, but they're not radically different. So again, you have your your day side, which has some of the basic interactions, your night side, which is a little more complex, nothing crazy, just a little slight tweak. And again, they're both good. Um, finally, the, the actual set itself is a lot more balancing that goes into it. It's pretty much fun. Again, your mileage may vary, uh, especially if you want to play Byzantine or Petra. Um, I'm actually a big fan of playing both of those. Uh, Byzantine has a lot of the peace tokens involved, so you could just stop military action from hitting you, so it'll pass over and hit your opponents to the left and right of you. Again, that's pretty awesome. So it's not just about money and resources. It's also about redirecting attacks that would come at you. So, again, love that. And then Petra had this really cool ability where it's going to throw a lot of points at you from changing in a lot of coins. No, None of the other Wonders really do that. I love that about that. So these were always two Wonders that I always wanted to have a play. So for Seven Wonders Cities, this is a buy. This is absolutely required in, in my estimation because you do want to have more interaction. And again, those Wonders are fantastic. Next up, Seven Wonders Second Edition Leaders. So I talked about this a little bit before, which again... You're going to get the leaders from the City Edition. You're also going to get the leaders from the Anniversary Pack, which is great because it's really hard to collect these things sometimes, and it's nice that everything's in the same box. All the graphics are updated. They look a lot better. They look a lot more interesting. Previously, when you had Seven Wonders, you had to splay the cards in such a manner that not only could you see the top, but you could see the side. Now these cards allow you just, I mean, across the board, the base box and the expansions. It's just about the tops now at this point. Uh, So it's nice to have the leaders. Again, the leaders are not essential to play in the game. I love playing with the leaders, but I can understand people who don't. Sometimes you actually want to have some direction in your gameplay. So drafting different leaders, one that you'll play during each uh, age of your civilization, allows for some specialization. Some will give you money or resources or special abilities throughout, not to worry, if you don't want that, you can trade them in for coins, or you could build them into your wonder, so that's pretty great. Uh, there are two wonders that come along with this, Abu Simbel. This is a really cool leader that, <laughs> I would say, expansion, wonder board leader kind of thing, because you have to have both of these included. Because what this one does is it entombs your leaders. So it takes your leaders and puts them in sarcophagus, and you'll be able to get a bonus from that. So If you're going to play this wonder, you have to play the leaders to go in there. So it's something to consider. Again, the guilds that were traditionally placed in here to benefit off the leaders are also in promo pack. So you'll have to search for those other places. Again, I mentioned about the wonder boards. Roma comes here. Love Roma a lot because it really plays off the leaders as well, uh, allowing you to play more leaders into your game. Again, it's not a winning strategy necessarily, but I love to play more leaders. So this allows me to do that. Uh, Beyond that, there's no changes to the leaders themselves. They're all pretty standard. If you play with them before, you get them now. It's not radically different than the first edition. There's some tweaks, some changes, some graphic designs. Again, for me, this is an essential part of Seven Wonders. I've played all of the expansions. These are the two expansions I will always play with. Even with the base game, they don't add any more complexity to gameplay. At least, I don't think so. Ever so tweaky, you may have to look at a couple more symbols, The other stuff, the Armada, the Babbles, you know, all the other kind of, you know, entrance and kind of involvement for, like, middle table kind of situations. We'll leave that to, like, if you want to bring it on. But for the second edition, for leaders, it's absolutely a buy. Two buys across the board if you love Seven Wonders. And if you kind of, like, you know, so-so on Seven Wonders, try out Cities and Leaders. I think it does do a, a great job balancing and bringing the games up to speed.
1: Yeah, Seven Wonders is great. I've not played it nearly enough to uh, be as engaged with any of what you said as what you said. <laughs> like,
0: I've Petra, done all the Petra's things.
1: great. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know. <laughs> this is the epitome of a game where like if someone pulls it out and like we're playing this, I'll be like, okay, I will play that with you. I don't I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but every time mm-hmm. I play it, I
0: have fun. Yeah. So that's a good sign. It is. Now, Petra's great because, because there's a lot of Petra fans out there, if you don't know Anthony. Uh, one of the barely. stages of the wonder allows you to take coins from everybody from building that, and the other stage lets you trade in like one to one coins for victory points. And you know that anytime you play a victory game, it's never one to one. This is really one to one. So you get 14 points for 14 coins. I love that. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So that's everything that's hitting our table this week. Anthony, let's do it. Let's get on to our feature review. So, our feature review this week, we're talking about the latest and greatest in board gaming. And of course, the latest and greatest in board gaming includes. All the great games that are getting purchased. So as of 2022, all the games that were purchased were all put together. And again, thanks to our friends at ICV2, they put together a great list of the top 10 games in different categories that were purchased last year here in the US and around the world. So Anthony, I got a list for you, brother. I got a great list for you. This week. All right. You had, you had the list last week. I, I got some I got some some interesting surprises here, too. Cool.
1: I didn't have to make a list.
0: Nice. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to start off with, so let's talk about the what they call the hobby board games, right? Now, again, that's a little different for everybody. So let's run through our the top 10 here. So number 10, as far as the top selling is concerned, Vagrant Song by Weird Games. Do you know anything about this, Anthony?
1: No. I mean, I've heard of it. I know it was... Yes a hot game for a little bit and everybody was trying to get it and I guess they must have reprinted it. They did. Got it out.
0: Yeah. And it was also on sale at some point, like a massive sale. I think one of mm-hmm. one of the online sites were, were kind of just I don't know, maybe it was like you said, the first edition to the second edition, they were looking to dump it. But this was like that kind of cuphead, but a little more like gothic you know, kind of look to it. And it's it's it uses standees. It uses this clear plastic standees to do, you know, tactical skirmish kind of co-op situations. So, yeah, it's that's that's number ten. So again, surprised to see this out there, but I'm happy so many people are enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Anthony, number nine, again another surprise for you here. Hero Quest. <laughs> Did,
1: okay, I mean, people love this from Hero Quest. It must have gotten cheaper. Is it like yeah.
0: more accessible? Absolutely. Yeah, they. I guess people finally decided like, oh, now it's now we can purchase it at a more reasonable price. Right. That makes sense because yeah, the the pulse
1: thing, the when you bought the game system, it was like one hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars or whatever. Yes. So I have to yeah. imagine
0: it's under a hundred bucks now. Absolutely. Let's see. Yeah. Amazon
1: has it for ninety three. There you go. Yep. That's that's
0: mm-hmm. doable. And again, I I I appreciate Hasbro getting as much money as it can because I get it, capitalism, right? Am I right? But also, like, th- that's where your number should be. It should not be at one hundred and fifty. I'm sorry. Too high. <laughs> Way too high. That's why you were running into problems with the other campaigns. Like, it should have been a little bit cheaper. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, number eight is going to surprise you, Anthony, because it's Betrayal at House on the Hill, another Aval- Avalon Hill game.
1: I don't know, man. That, that's that got a following. I know people who don't play any games, and they know this game. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know how, but it it's out there.
0: It's had a lot of versions. You had your Boulder Gate version, you had your Scooby-Doo version, a whole bunch of different versions out there and it's still out there it's still strong i guess it kind of bridges that gap between board games and like storytelling rpg stuff if you haven't played it i highly recommend playing it because it's it's an interesting game i mean it's it's that kind of co-op game and then all of a sudden it's one versus many and that one person gets to do a cool thing so but also it does have its problems where the haunt could happen too early or too late and then everyone you know it's really unbalanced there so mm-hmm. Now, Anthony, I know this is one that you're going to love because Cascadia is number seven. All right, see that's see people got it right; they know what they're doing. I mean, that's pretty impressive. 2000, you know. I mean, we're, I mean, we're talking about other games here, but for 2022, Cascadia from yeah. AEG. I mean, that's a big game for such you know. Who'd have thought? I mean, back then they didn't think that, but you did. So I appreciate it. I knew you did I know. know it was yeah. there. Yeah. I know what <laughs> well, I'm talking let's about. go. Let's go back to some games that are a little bit more in the uh, the realm of the obvious here. Uh, I don't know. Number six, Ticket to Ride. Yeah. <laughs> uh Another game that's a little more modern, but also in the realm of the obvious. Uh, number five is Azul. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, so that's I, what I'm saying. I, I think Azul is just kind of in that ballpark now. It's one of those games that everybody Yeah. In. We all know it.
0: Well, between the three hundred dollar version that came out and the more recent like mini version that is either coming out or has come out, I think that, like you said I think they've they've gotten into that sweet area of like we're just gonna reproduce this game forever, kind of like a tan mm-hmm. yeah i mean number sense. number four is not a big surprise for us, but maybe for people outside the industry uh arc nova that is surprising, it's expensive right is As- it is. It, it did go on sale at one point, and I think it was on sale a lot for I don't know for whatever reason they must have had a surplus somewhere. But mm. I mean, it's it's zoomed up to charts, and I think it has that relatability that that most games don't because it's just like, "Hey, do you like animals?" Like, yeah, cool animals. You're like, all right, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right, so back to, uh, you know, a sad but true but wonderful game. (laughs) Number three, no surprise here, Anthony, Catan. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I would hope and imagine Catan's always up here. Um, Sure. It's just one of those few games that everybody's heard of that's that and Ticket to Ride. Like, when I teach my class, if my students are going to know any hobby board games at all, it's these two. Like, if anybody ever says any other game, I'm like, really? (laughs) <laughs> okay, how did that happen? <laughs> like, it's true. How nerdy are your parents? Because, it, yeah, it's Catan and Ticket to Ride.
0: Yeah. All right, well, number two, and I guess this is not a big surprise for us in the industry, uh, Gloomhaven. I mean,
1: it's not, but it also is, because I think it's, again, it's a $150 game, and for it
0: to be number two... Yes, over Catan and Ticket yeah. to Ride. Yeah, that's That's nuts. Isaac is like, you know... Dollar bills, y'all, I'm telling you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and the number one game here, Anthony, I know it's a surprise to you a little bit. Not to me at all, because again, Animals, Wingspan. Yeah,
1: that's, I mean, it's not number because, it's Number one. Yeah, Is that about to say, it's not because it's Wingspan, but also this game has been out now for, what, seven years? Six years? Wow. It's been out for a while, and for it to still be up there, like, I cannot imagine how many copies of that they have sold at this point.
0: A lot of bird levels out there. So, uh-huh. again, to be the top game selling for 2022 in all the games out there, this is incredibly, incredibly impressive. So, I mean, shout out to Elizabeth Hargrave for sure. Yeah. All right, Anthony, let's talk about some of the card slash dice games for 2022. For some reason, they separate these, but I guess that makes sense. Uh, number 10, a little surprise for me here, Marvel Legendary from Upper Deck. Huh. Still a thing, yeah. That's it's been crazy. around forever. I
1: mean, <laughs> I, it has been around forever, but it's Marvel, right? That alone's yeah. gonna get it somewhere.
0: Gotcha. Number nine, Arkham Horror.
1: I gotta imagine that's the LCG, yeah. Right? Fancy
0: Flight, yeah. It doesn't say the, yeah. It doesn't say that, but I'm assuming if that's it's what under it Card is. and Dice. It's got to be the yeah. LCG,
1: and that makes sense because they have new content coming out almost every month.
0: Uh number eight, I know we're big fans of it, Unstable Unicorns. Okay. <laughs> Are we big fans of it? It I, I don't know. It's cute. Okay. It, it, yeah. it had a Kickstarter. I don't I don't know. Uh <laughs> number seven, not a surprise here, but one again, one of the modern day classics, Dominion.
1: Yeah, yeah, Dominion makes sense. Um with all the expansions, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I wonder if they dumped all those
0: in there. They probably do. Mm. Number six is probably everyone's favorite since way back when. Uno. I, you know, the thing is, is like, I
1: I know we had Uno when I was a kid. I played it. I liked it fine. And my kids are obsessed with it. We have like eight copies of it in different (laughs) forms. Harry Potter Uno and Pokemon Uno that I had to import from Japan when my son realized it existed. Oh, no. (laughs) Mario Uno, like all the Unos. I didn't realize this is the one game. There's Monopoly that everybody, Uh all these 18-year-olds in my classes have played and then uno and they get so excited when i
0: bring in uno on the last day of class because they're like we got to play uno I'm like okay uno it is <laughs> which is funny to mention that on the top board games monopoly was not there
1: right i mean i guess it's hobby right mm. well you had uno you have uno If you have uno that's true Everything and can... they consider uno a hobby game i don't know that's
0: interesting mm-hmm. number five not a surprise, lord of the rings and again an lcg i'm assuming
1: yeah yeah, so I'm going to guess Marvel Champions is in the top four then because that seems to be their best seller at the moment. Number four, Marvel Champions. Hey, what's up? <laughs> that's crazy, though, that they have three LCGs and all three of them are in the top ten. Like It is crazy. How do you do that? Because they cannibalize each other. Like, I they do. Have, I've owned, I own all three of them, but I've stopped purchasing two of them because I can't afford to keep up with all three. And I don't have time to play all three. So,
0: Yeah, and for... And for me, it's just like, I, it, it's a lot. It's it's it, really a lot. <laughs> it is it's a lot. <laughs> uh, number three here is Clank. I'm surprised it's okay. listed the cards. A I mean, it's game. a deck builder. I guess it's a board game. Yeah, I mean, I would yeah, I would throw it in board games, but I guess it's a deck builder like Dominion, but it does have a board. I guess this it does is one have of the a great, board, yeah. one of the great debates of, of amongst tabletop gamers: what's a board game? What's a card game? Uh, yeah
1: right, and I guess i c v two says Clank
0: is a card game there you go, uh number two smash up,
1: okay, cool I get that i don't forty versions of it that probably yeah. all adds up
0: to number two <laughs> <laughs> i own a, I own a good chunk of that i bet and it, yeah. number one anthony i don't know I don't know what you're thinking give give us a shot here what do you think number one card game is? <sighs> it's a you've card already, game.
1: you've already said everything that I would have guessed.
0: All the LCGs, Uno.
1: I don't know. I'm drawing a blank, man. What do you got?
0: Yeah, I think this is gonna throw you out just a little bit. It's code names.
1: Code names? Yeah, it is a card game, I guess. Yeah. I just wouldn't think of that when you say card game, but yeah,
0: it's all cards. So of course. It's all cards. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's it feels like a board game because it kinda have the tableaus built out. But, it, yeah, it's it's a deck of cards, more or less. Yeah, 100%. Oh, no, that's funny. And just to run through a couple of the other ones out there, so for role-playing games, no big surprise here, number five, Transformers RPG, kind of a new entry. Number four, Vampire the Masquerade, old time. Uh, number three, S-E-O-G-L. Uh, number two, Pathfinder. And number one, did not get knocked off, uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, well...
1: <laughs> I I would be deeply surprised if it fell off the number one, no matter how mad people got at them. It's true. Because there's so many people who buy D&D and don't know
0: any of that stuff. It's true. Very, very true. All right, so let's jump over to the top collectible games. Uh, number 10, Soul Forge Fusion. Number nine, My Hero Academia. That's a cool-looking
1: game. It's it's from Jasco though, right? I don't... Yeah. I don't love their stuff,
0: so mm. I don't know. Number eight, Catfight Vanguard. Card fight. Oh, that's Card right. Sorry, <laughs> Catfight cat would be fight. funnier though. <laughs> it would be funnier. I wish they made would make that game. I buy it. Uh, number seven, Weish Schwartz. New to me.
1: Yeah, you. I I am vaguely aware of it. It's like the that weird like steampunky
0: World War Two theming, right? Oh, okay. Number six I'm making that one, up. I, I I I'm I'm certainly mispronouncing it, so with all apologies. Yeah. Well,
1: it's it's <laughs> Someone's gonna write us in, and are like, you guys don't know anything about this. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, you're
0: right. <laughs> Not too much. Uh number six, one piece card game. Not big cool. surprise there. Anime. No. Uh number five, Digimon card game. Again, Bandai, two two back to backs. Uh, number four, flesh and blood. I know our our friends, uh, Mark and Greg, and several people out are are just like loving that to the ends of the earth.
1: That's crazy. It's up to number four because I we both know what the number the top three are because
0: it's the same oh, top sure. three that
1: for twenty years. But you wanna... number four, like getting into that conversation? That's
0: nuts. I was surprised to see that it, it got so much penetration with so many gamers. I was just like, really? But yeah. everyone's really just they love the system. So I'm really impressed by that. Yeah. Alright, what do you got for us the top three, Anthony? What do you think? Where, where do they place? We got uh you know what we got. What do we got?
1: Uh well number th- three is probably Yu-Gi-Oh!.
0: Uh-huh. You're
1: correct. And then there's Pokemon and Magic. Which one's number one? See, I wanna say magic's number one, but kids don't buy magic cards, and my kids get so many Pokemon cards and they just throw <laughs> them in a pile. <laughs> And Pokemon card I'm going to say Pokemon's number one because they're just, you can't buy them anywhere. When I go to the store to, and the kids are like, I want Pokemon cards, I'm like, they're sold out again, I'm sorry. But what are these? I'm like, those are Magic cards. I'm like, ew, gross. So, <laughs> purely anecdotally, I'm going to say Pokemon's number one.
0: Pokemon is number one with Magic yeah. and Gathering being number two, so. That's crazy, though. That's
1: that's so nuts. Because Magic makes billions of dollars, so Pokemon must make Trillions. so much money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Oh boy! All right. Well, to wrap up here, the non collectible miniature game. So, uh, number ten here, Anthony, Star Wars Armada. It's still alive. It's still alive. I can't believe it's still alive. I thought it was dead, but again, Star Wars. That's, yeah. Okay. All right. Number nine. This one's gonna surprise you even more, Anthony. Song of Ice and Fire from Simon Games. That's still alive. I I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> That's gonna be this whole list. That's still alive. <laughs> Uh, speaking of that, number eight is Bones from Reaper Miniatures. Uh, number...
1: No, no, no. I'm thinking of games, but yeah, it's miniature lines. It's not necessarily... You see Bones everywhere. That makes sense.
0: Oh, Bones has been around forever, ever. And again, it's still alive? I guess not. It's dead. It's Bones, right? Yeah. So, number seven is Pathfinder Deep Cuts from WizKids. Oh, those are cool. WizKids makes some good stuff. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Number six, not a surprise here. It's been around forever from Catalyst Games. It's BattleTech.
1: I always wanted to get into that because they look so cool to build and paint. Yes. But like the game itself is so overwhelming to me. Like I have no interest in the game, but I would love to have like
0: the mechs on my shelf. Yeah, there's there's a Kickstarter up there right now. If you want to check that out. Oh, okay. Uh, Anthony, I know this one. You'll be happy about this. Star Wars Legion is number five. <sighs> this game, just uh, I don't know.
1: I I think it's good. I've not played it formally in a a setting because I could never find a place that runs it. It's like Fantasy Flight. And I know it's Atomic Mass now, but it's Asmodee, it's whatever. But nobody put together any decent organized play for this. It's a mess. So you own a lot of it, right? I bought the whole first wave. And then since then, I bought the Clone Wars set. Um, Hmm. And then I did buy... Last year, I bought the one that had... um, like Darth Maul in it. It's like the syndicate mm. from the clone Wars stuff, but it just doesn't get played because I don't, I don't know where people play this. And so if you're in the Southeast Pennsylvania area and you play this game in a formal setting, not your basement, let me know. Um, <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> I got a bunch of stuff and I just don't get it
0: out. Well, that leads us to another one that I think is going hit, to hit home. Uh, number four, Anthony, Marvel crisis pro call. Cool. Yeah. Same thing.
1: Um, these ones though, I like I I didn't really buy anything for this game with the ex- purpose of playing it. I didn't think it would happen after Legion. I just mm. buy things that I think are fun to paint. So like I sure. got my little Hulk figure, I got my Thanos on his throne, got
0: my floaty Modok. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Number 3 is Nolzar's Marvelous Miniatures from WizKids. Okay, that's the D&D stuff, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh number two, Age of Sigmar. Now a surprise to hear from Games Workshop. Yeah, fantasy version of Warhammer. And the number one, which was just recently featured on South Park, Warham Warhammer 40K.
1: Yeah, it's it's nuts. Like I remember, I'm sure you remember too, like 10 years ago when it was like Warhammer's dead. It's all about what was the one that replaced it that is now dead? <laughs>
0: They're all slightly dead at this point, to me.
1: I know. Yeah, it was just like everybody was all about. uh I'm drawing a blank. Is is an American company, but like, it just Warhammer came back, and it like the, I don't know how, I don't know why. Maybe it was Henry Cavill, like maybe going on social media. I
0: mean, like I love this stuff. People are like, well, Superman likes it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think they did a lot to streamline the rules, and I think that's always been the barrier of entry, and and obviously not the why cost. You... No, I don't think so. I mean, we I mean, do we not buy crazy amounts of stuff on Kickstarter? You know, so like, true. Yeah, I, I think the complex rule system has always been challenging, and they streamlined a lot of it. And I know that's really upset. I mean, remember back then, they people were burning some of their collections. Yeah, into that whole thing. So yeah. that's kind of sad better I guess I don't play it I wish I would because again I think going back to those days with Games Workshop like the stores in those places out there where you would see the mammoth tables out there with all the miniatures mm. set up that looked like incredible fun that, that, that felt like every childhood experience that I always wanted to have right like having that amount of toys on the floor just kind of set up in like epic battles kind of thing yeah, so yeah. but rule books and as you mentioned Expense, not to mention all the painting that has to be done too.
1: But right, this is this is one of those games where you can't play unless they're painted, which is just a whole
0: extra layer. Yeah, it is, and again, it's it's a lot of complexity there. But every time I see it, I'm always like, if only I could, I can't. But if only if I could, I would. So, <laughs> yeah. and another life, and a life that was more fair and reasonable, where there was time and people to play those things with. And again, that's one of the challenges with those miniature games. So trying to get all that stuff out onto a table. If you could fit it on a table, you would play it. So, Ah, right. uh, there we go. <laughs> There's the rub. Yep. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll see you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye.